You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How is everybody doing today? Yes, one person had some of the coffee, maybe too much of the coffee, and they are excited. Man, it is so, so good to see all of you um, really, really pumped about what the Lord is doing here and what he's going to continue to do. If you got your Bible um, or maybe a smart device, you want to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament, um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and the reason we call it the Gospel along with the the, the other of the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell about the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look at part of that story here today in just a moment. Um, In 1966, 1966, somebody give me a hand clap if you're alive in 1966. There's a few people, a few people. Some of the younger kids were like, is that when they rode dinosaurs to school? I don't know what's... Um, a TV show, Mission Impossible, came out, um, one, of, one of my favorites, and it later uh, became a popular film franchise featuring Tom Cruise um, as the lead character, Agent Ethan Hunt. And so you're welcome because now you're going to have that theme song stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Um, because you cannot mistake it. Um, and, and if you're, if you're new to the, to the party and you have no idea what uh, Mission Impossible is, um, it's centered around, uh, a, a, a team of agents creatively named the Impossible Missions Force. Um, and one of their operatives at the beginning of every show or at the beginning of every movie would receive a tape or some sort of correspondence from their director that would subsequently self-destruct after the message was over. You know, they would hang up the payphone or um, hit stop on the tape recorder, and then 15 seconds later, it would it would blow up. And um, maybe you remember those of you, uh, if you're from my era, um, you remember Inspector Gadget. Um, and Inspector Gadget kind of had a spoof of this because Chief Quimby would always give him, you know, some in, in some crazy, he'd show up in like a mailbox or, you know, something silly and hand him a piece of paper and Gadget would read it and he would always crumple it up and throw it over his shoulder or whatever and it ended up backfiring on Chief Quimby and, um, and so that was kind of a spoof from that. But, um, but as, as a part of this from, uh, from Mission Impossible, as a part of every single episode, whenever, um, um, whenever the uh, uh, the um, director would contact the agent as a part of that message, it would always say, your mission, should you choose to accept it, right? You remember that? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, as if they had a choice, right? I never watched any of the TV episodes or never in any of the movies do they not accept the mission, because then that would be kind of a lame TV show, kind of a lame movie. Yeah, you know, it's over in five minutes. Like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. 
You know, they always accepted no matter how impossible the task ahead seemed. And, and much like Mission Impossible, as followers of Christ, you and I, we are, we have been called to live on a mission as well. We have been given a mission. And, and a lot of the time, particularly in this day and age in which we find ourselves the mission that is at hand can seem pretty impossible. But unlike those IMF agents in the TV shows and in the movies, many of us, we choose not to accept it. We've been given the mission, but we choose not to accept it. Today, we're in part two of a series called DNA, where we are highlighting the core values of Christ Walk Church by taking a look at who we are as a church and then what the expectations are for those that call Christ Walk Church home. And last week we started off with um, our number one core value, which is Jesus is our message. And the big idea is something that we say all of the time that the message that you and I have been called to promote and to proclaim in word and thought and in deed is simply that because of Jesus, Jesus, the best is yet to come. I believe that. I believe that. And then today we are going to spend some time talking about our number two core value, which is people are our mission. People are our mission. And so we start off and and when we say people are our mission, what exactly does that mean? What exactly are we talking about when we say that? Well, we, we get this essentially from um, a passage at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's kind of a well-known portion of Scripture that in, uh, in, in church circle, in Christian circles, we've come to know or to label as the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and And he is quickly approaching the time when he is going to ascend uh, back into heaven. And so he is giving his disciples kind of their marching orders before he leaves the earth. And so he says this as he's talking to them, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And now when we read that, um, especially in our modern translations, that's out of the New Living Translation, we see that word right there at the beginning that says, go. And, and we've kind of, we've kind of come to think that that really means something different than what it does. We've, we've come to, to believe that that was the command that Jesus was giving his disciples. But, but that's a little bit inaccurate because when you go back to the original Greek, you see that the word there for, for go, it's actually, um, used in its, with its present participle, which, which literally means going or as you are going. So go was not the command. Go, rather, was an assumption or an implication. It it was just assumed that you were going to be going, that, that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that going is something that we do. It was, it was just, it was assumed and it was grandfathered in. The command was actually to make disciples. By baptizing them and teaching them. And so go, to go was not the command. 
That was implied. Jesus is like, I know you're going to be going, so as you are going, do this. Make disciples. And Warren Wearsby, um, a, a theologian and um, a, a pastor, speaker, um, author, he, he says this, and, and bear with me because this quote is a little bit long, but um, when I came across it, I felt like it was super powerful, and so I just wanted to share the full thing. Warren Wearsby says, A disciple, then, is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed this faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of believers that he might be taught the truths of faith. He is then able to go out and win others and teach them. This was the pattern of the New Testament church. In many respects, we have departed from this pattern. In most churches, the congregation pays the pastor to preach, win the lost, and build up the saved. While the church members function as cheerleaders or spectators, the converts are one, baptized, and given the right hand of fellowship, and then they join the other spectators. How much faster our churches would grow, and how much stronger and happier our church members would be if each one were discipling another believer. This is the responsibility of every believer and not just a small group who have been called to go. And before you get mad at me, just remember, I didn't say that. It was Warren, okay? I didn't say that. It was Warren Wearsby. Get mad at him. Get mad at him. So when we talk about the, when we talk about the what, we also have to answer the, the who. We're talking about people are our mission. Well, who? Who are these people? And, and Jesus said it himself in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, for the Son of Man, that was a title that Jesus ascribed to himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And so I, I've got I've, I've to wonder that if, if this is what Jesus said that he was about, then isn't this what you and I should be about as well? If Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost, then shouldn't that be what we dedicate our lives to as well? And then it brings up another question when we talk about the lost. Well, who are the lost? Who are the lost? How do we know if someone is lost? What, what does that person look like? Who, who are those people? So that how, how do we place an, identif- uh, an identifying factor on, on them? And, and simply put, maybe if you're taking notes, you want to write this down um, or put this in your phone or something. Um, a very simple definition of the lost are people that are far from God, but they're close to you. People that are far from God, but they're close to you. See, there, there's a, a bit of a misnomer um, sometimes that if, if we're going to reach lost people and, and we're going to make a difference in the world for the kingdom of God, that we've got to be a missionary and that we've got to go to the other side of the globe and um, we've got to visit a third world country and go out into the, the African bush to a people that we don't speak the same language of and learn their customs and figure out a way in and, and raise all this money and everything. But, and, and yes, like we do need to do that. 
And we support a number of missions organizations and we're actively pursuing and, and participating in advancing the gospel, not just, not just here within Fernandina Beach, but uh, literally to the ends of the earth. And that is important. And Lord knows that, that he calls people to do that. But you don't have to be a missionary and go to the other side of the globe just to share the gospel. We don't have to go to a different country to be a missionary. We can simply share the gospel to people that are lost in our own backyard. Maybe at school, there's people that are far from God, but they're close to you because they're sitting next to you in your math class. They share the locker next to you in gym. Or maybe it's in your office Maybe they have the cubicle next to yours, or maybe they are on the job site with you in partnership to complete the task. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's the people that live to the right or to the left or across the street, or maybe it's that new couple that just moved in. Maybe it's at the beach, the people that have that really cool umbrella or beach towel that you like, and they brought the best snacks. And you forgot your snacks. And so you go and make friends with them because you want some of their snacks. But also because you want to tell them about Jesus. Maybe it's at the grocery store. You pass each other in the aisle and you realize that you both have an affinity for Campbell's Chunky Soup. Whatever it may be. You show me a place where there are people and I will show you your mission field. You show me a place where there are people and I will show you your mission field that, that we are everywhere we go. We've been charged to be on the lookout for people who are far from God, but close to us. J. Vernon McGee says, it is the effect of one life upon other lives, the impact of one personality upon another, which often leads people to Christ. What he's saying there is that God's primary means of reaching people is to send other people to them. And here is the good news. He has chosen you to do it. Think about that. Out of everything God, like out of everything that he could have done, out of everything that he could have put in place, Anything that, that he could have established as a means of, of reaching new people and, and having them experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness. He thought worthy of us to be given that task, to go and to share that with the world around us. And you and I, we've been tasked, we, we have been chosen, we have been called to go and do that. As a person, we have been called to reach other people. And the way we do that is we just love the hell out of them. Like that's what we've been called to. We've been called to just love the hell out of people. We need to model joy for them. We need to practice outrageous generosity. In short, we've got to do everything that we possibly can by the way that we live, by the way that we speak, by the way that we think, by the way that we interact with them to just show them and, and, and tell them about Jesus in everything that we do. But, but yet there are reasons that we don't accept this mission, even though we have been, we have been given this, this high-level classification task. And we've been charged and we've been called 
there, there's a lot of reasons that we don't do that. And some of it is, is, is maybe out of self-centeredness. It's that like we just we don't recognize that there are actually other people in the world around us. You know, they're just, they're just obstacles or nuisances. And it's all about us and we're looking inward and we only care about self. Or, or maybe it's, it's out of fear or doubt or insecurity that if we put ourselves out there that someone may turn us down or someone may, may push us to the side and ostracize us and that we're not going to be cool and, and we're not going to be included anymore and that maybe we're going to get made fun of. Maybe it's that, that we're afraid of, of that, that when, when the time comes, we won't know what to say or we won't be able to, to put our words together correctly and, and, and that we won't be able to speak uh, uh, effectively and efficiently when it comes to sharing our faith with other people. For some of us, it's just apathy or laziness. It's like, yeah, we get it. Like there are other people in the world. We realize that. And there are lost people in the world that need to be saved. But at the end of the day, it, probably better that someone else just do that other than me it's the pastor's job or it's the it's it's the the teacher's job or the you know whatever it's always on somebody else maybe it's that we're just too busy maybe busyness has taken place and and we have the best of intentions like we really do want to reach people we do want to minister to them we on paper we want people to come to know jesus but we're just so caught up in everything that we have going on and our calendar is so full that we just simply cannot take the time to slow down to be able to stop and minister to someone because we're constantly, oh, I got to get to the next appointment. I got to get to the next thing. I got this over here and I got that over there and I got this back here and everything. And I'm sorry. I know that you're lost. I know that you're hurting, but I just don't have the time. All of this really adds up to the fact that reaching lost people, it's hard. It's messy. It's not easy. It can be difficult. Sacrifices involved. We're not sure of what the outcome will be. We're scared. We're nervous. Put ourselves out there. A lot of it, especially in, in the world in which we live today, is a lot of us don't say anything. We don't, we don't share our faith as, as frequently and with as much freedom as we used to because of the fear of offense. The fear of offense. We want to be careful not to offend anybody. And can I just be honest? Like, I'm sick and tired of that. I'm sick and tired of walking on eggshells as a Christian. I'm sick and tired of the church of God tiptoeing around because we don't want to offend anybody. You know what? Every other godless entity is being shoved down my throat. So then why is it so offensive when I talk to somebody about Jesus? It's time for us to be who God has called us to be. And if we are going to be Christ followers and we are going to serve him, then we don't need to be ashamed or worried about how somebody might receive our message. We've got to get to the place where we are over worrying about whether or not we offend somebody. I'm not saying that we share the gospel forcefully and that we thump people over the heads with our Bible. That's not what I'm getting at. We have to do it in love. But if they get offended by the message of Jesus, that's on them. It's not on us. 
And there's a reason that the gospel is offensive to people. And the reason is, is because it opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to bring about conviction. And conviction is offensive because it demands that we change the way that we live our lives. Conviction says you can't live that way anymore and still make it to heaven. You can't live that way and still live a life that pleases and honors God. You can't make those choices and have it that way and still receive the blessings of the Father. It just doesn't work that way and that is offensive to people. You know what else is offensive to people? Tackling them. Think about it. If I just got a running start and like ran straight at Amanda Ebersole right here and just tackled her, that would be offensive. Number one, she's a female. Number two, she's pregnant. I believe that Brett would probably take issue with that. But if Amanda was about to get hit by an oncoming bus, would I think twice about taking the risk of tackling her to get her out of the way of that impending doom? No, I would just do it because I want to save her life. And if that's the case, then why do we think twice about sharing the gospel with people and pointing them in the direction of Jesus to save their life at the risk of possibly offending somebody? That's good stuff right there. That's good stuff. People are our mission because, simply put, people were Jesus' mission too. If it's what he was about, then it's what we should be about. So the big question that remains really is, well, how do we do it? How do we do it? And I believe that in John chapter 4, Jesus gives us this model. John chapter 4. Um. This is the the Samaritan woman at the well. And so uh, a quite popular passage. Many of you have probably read this. Um, You you know it. You've heard it preached before. Um, I'm probably going to deliver it maybe in a little bit different way than perhaps it's been preached before or or even in the way that I've preached it before. I'm going to focus on some of the different parts of this story. Um, but it's quite lengthy. It's, um, it's actually 42 verses long. And so um, rather than reading all of that in one fell swoop and then breaking it down, I'm going to try to break it down kind of section by section and chunk by chunk, okay? So John chapter 4, um, beginning in verse 1, and hopefully you turn there with me previously. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had learned or had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. In verse 4, this is a, this is a, a pivotal verse for this passage. It says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to. Now, Jesus was compelled to go to Samaria. There was nothing that was going to stop him from going to Samaria. He had to go there. It's something clear that there was a reason that Jesus needed to be in Samaria. It was all about him being on mission. See, Jesus' mission wasn't something that he just talked about, something that sounded really good. It was something that he actually lived 
out. He walked it out. And he had to go to Samaria because people, the lost in particular, because they matter, even if those people were different. And what this passage, first of all, lets us know is that all people count and that nobody is to be left out. So in case you need some clarity on that, all people count. That means that regardless of gender or ethnicity or skin color or sexual orientation or political affiliation or your education level or your job title or the number that is in your bank account or the zip code that you live in, Jesus came to save people, period. People matter, all of them. Every single one matters. And so Jesus had to go to Samaria because people, even those different from himself, mattered to him or were part of his mission. For that reason, they should be a part of our mission too. Verse 5, we pick up. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, Jews hated Samaritans. And that feeling was directly and unequivocally reciprocated by the Samaritans back to the Jews. Because during Israel's captivity, what happened was is that idol-worshiping foreigners were sent from Assyria to populate Samaria. And they later intermarried with the Jews that remained in that area. And as a result, the people there um, were both embracing the idol worship of those foreigners' practices as well as the Jewish traditions of those that were, um, that were brought up in, in, in that tradition. Um, and, and by all accounts and measures, the, the people that remained as a part of Samaria, they were considered half-breeds by those that were pure Jews. And, and the reason why ultimately the Jews came to despise these people in Samaria is, is for a number of reasons, but they obstructed, um, uh, they obstructed Nehemiah's re- rebuilding of the temple. Um, they constructed their own temple on Mount Gerizim and made the claim that, that that's what Moses had initiated and that that was the proper place and area to worship. Um, they served as a place, they opened up their, their borders and served as a place of refuge for Judean criminals. So those that were purely Jew, that had committed terrible acts and had been in prison, once they got out of prison, you knew that you could go to Samaria and that they would welcome you with open arms. And it was, it was for these things, and as well as a, a long litany list of, um, of other things, that Jews and Samaritans absolutely despise one another. And the reason this woman is surprised when Jesus asks her for a drink, she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, and to a Jew, even the water jar of a Samaritan would be considered a polluted vessel. 
all right? Even the water jar would have been, and even the well in Samaria would have been considered to have had polluted water. And so just as, as maybe um, a sidebar, this is not maybe the main focus of this, um, of this passage, but as a sidebar, this points out to us that Jesus isn't afraid of our pollution, of our sin. He's just not. He, he faces it directly, and, and he overcame it directly. And so when we're talking about um, people being our mission, and we're talking about sharing the gospel with and, and pointing others in the direction of Christ, particularly those that don't look like us, those that are different from us, those that, those that are, are, are in a bad way from a spiritual standpoint. Jesus is not afraid of any of the things that they have going on. And he's already overcome that. All those people need is someone, a messenger, to deliver the message to them by faith. And so that's what this is pointing out. In verse 10, Jesus replied to her, he said, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So in his reply, Jesus told her, number one, he told her who he was. Number two, he told her what he had to offer. And number three, he told her how it could be received. And ultimately, that's how we share Christ with others. We tell them who he is. He's the son of God. We tell them what he has to offer. He has to offer forgiveness of sin and and eternal life. And, And we share with them how it can be received and be received by faith as we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead. That's how we share the gospel with people. And she continues in verse 11. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she said, please, sir, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. 
Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them dare have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see. A man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And so it's right there that as we ask this question of how, how do we reach the lost? How do we live a life with people on mission? Jesus gives us a model. The model is is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. If you're taking notes, write this down. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on these points. It's just three things. The first thing is that we've got to seek them out and meet them on their terms. If we're going to reach the lost, we've got to seek them out and meet them on their terms. The Bible says Jesus had to go to Samaria. He didn't sit around and wait for someone to come to him. He went out to where the lost people were, and he, he got among them. So number one, we have to seek them out and meet them on their terms. Number two, we have to know, love, and challenge them. We have to know, love, and challenge them. A lot of times it's easy for us to know people. A lot of times it's easy for us to love people. But we often leave off that last piece. We've got to know them. We've got to love them. We've got to challenge them. He, he loved her because he was willing to go out of his way, go to a place where Jews just didn't go so that he could meet with her. He knew her because he began to tell her things about herself. He, he was invested in who she was as a person, but he didn't leave it there. He challenged her. He challenged her way of life. He challenged her thought process and the things that she believed to be true. And he pointed her in a different direction. He didn't just allow her to continue to live the way that she had been living, but he challenged her to something more, to something different. So number one, we've got to seek people out on their terms. Number two, we've got to know, love, and challenge them. And then finally, the third part of the model is that we point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. That's what he did. He, he was sitting right there and he said, I am the Messiah. So in this case, he pointed her to himself and the reality of who he was and the fact that he was the one that came to bring this living water. And our responsibility is after we seek out the lost and after we know and we love and we challenge them, we can't just leave them hanging. We can't just challenge them and then walk away. We've got to point them in the direction of a relationship with Jesus. Tell them about the Messiah. I love what she did. She left that area. She left where she was at the well, and and she went back into the town, and she said, come and see a man who told me about everything that I ever did. Those three words are the gospel in its most simple form. Come and see. That's our message. Come and see. Come and see about this man named Jesus, about what he's done in my life and what he can do in your life as well. 
But the story doesn't end there. Verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting, the har- or be- between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to the harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. See, the disciples in that moment viewed bread as their satisfaction. They were just looking for a full belly. But Jesus, in that moment, knew that salvation was the ultimate satisfaction. Not a full belly, but a full life. And the disciples, they had gone into the town where this woman was from. But they were blinded to the opportunity that was there. They had overlooked it. They had written it off simply because it was Samaria. It was full of Samaritans. And as a result, they missed an opportunity to lead people to Jesus. See, sharing Christ by pointing others in his direction should serve as our strength, should serve as our satisfaction. It should, should serve as fulfillment in our life that we are living on mission and doing and being the things that God has called us to do and be. See, in that moment, the harvest was ready, but as far as the disciples were concerned, it didn't have the faithful workers that it took to obtain it. Because faith is required to sow seeds, especially when the circumstances appear to be discouraging. And no doubt the disciples probably walked through that place thinking, man, if these people would only come to know Jesus for who he is. But yet they said nothing. It took this sinful Samaritan woman to run back into the town after she had cast down her water jar. She knew she didn't need that anymore. She'd had a taste of the living water. She ran back into the town and said, come and see. She did what all of the disciples should have done. But they didn't act in faith. She did. Knowing that God has promised a harvest. That passage ends, it says, many Samaritans. From the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of She said, come and see. The people came and saw. If I had to sum up 
one big idea of this passage as it relates to our core value of people, our, our mission. It's simply this. It's something that this Samaritan woman modeled so beautifully for us. Found people, find people. Found people, find people. That's just what we do. If you've been found, then you ought to be finding. Because found people, find people. And this passage, this story, this testimony of this woman proves to us that one simple testimony, come and see, can change everything. Because when we share our story like she did. Come and see this man who told me everything that I ever did. When we share our story, it will inspire others to come and do the same, to come and experience this man named Jesus. The hope that what he's done in our life, he will do in their life as well, and he will. So as I bring this message to a close today, I want to leave you with two questions to consider before we walk out those doors and head back out into the real world. The first one of those questions is this. What has God done in your life that you need to share with someone else? What has God done in your life that you need to share? It's something. So what is it that God's done in you for you, through you, that you need to share with someone else. The second question is, with whom do you need to share it? If the first question is, what has God done in your life that you need to share? The second question is, with whom do you need to share it? Who's that person? Who are those people that are far from God, but they're close to you? Then go and tell them. Come and see. Come and see. Maybe you're here today in this room. Maybe you're watching with us online. Part of my testimony is that I've been blessed and had the opportunity to be a part of church my whole life. Like since nine months before I was born, I've been going to church. And that I'm able to walk in and, and, and carry a faith that it's, it's not just mine, but it's been passed down to me from generation to generation to generation. I want somebody to know this morning, I, I just feel compelled to say this, that may not have been your experience, but today you can make the decision to begin that for your family. You can be the one to step across that line and be welcomed into the fold, to be welcomed into the family. It doesn't matter what your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents, it doesn't matter the lineage. You can change all of that right now by simply accepting my invitation to come and see. There is a great God out there who, as our Father, sent us an incredible gift in his son, Jesus. 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have everlasting life because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That's my testimony. I have no fear of the future because I know that what I see in front of me in this world is only temporary. None of this matters because I'm not living for it anyways. I'm living for something so much more. And that's what I'd like to invite you to as well. And that today you can make a decision that will impact your future forever. It's not going to change your past, but it will change your future. And it's something that you can be the one to pass it down to those generations that are coming after you the same way that I've experienced. If that's you this morning, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. We just bow our heads in reverence to what the Father is wanting to do in people's lives. Just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.